Amen. Amen. Can we just lift our hands? Jesus, we worship you today. We give you praise, God. Thank you. Thank you, God, for the power of your name. God, it breaks every chain, looses every fetter. God, there is no illness too great. There is no sin too dark. There is no addiction and vice too strong. That the mention of your name cannot set us free from those things. God, we thank you today for your grace. We thank you for your power. We thank you for your name. We thank you for the blood that you shed so that we can be redeemed. Amen. Let's put our hands together. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Happy New Year, everybody. You can be seated. Welcome to 2017. I remember being a teenager, you know, being raised in church, everything was through different filters. And, you know, I just knew that God was coming back at any moment, which he is coming back at any moment. But I just figured that I'd never, I'd never drive. I just prayed that he would wait long enough for me to get my license. Then he could come back after that. <laughs> and, then, and then I got a girlfriend, and I just prayed, please don't come until I can get married. <laughs> so here we are in 2017. And the disciples believed he was coming back soon. Right? And there's an interesting passage of Scripture that says that concerning his promises, God's arm is not short. In other words, if he says something, he will deliver it, right? So even though it seems like, you know, Peter said he was coming soon, and and here we are in 2017, and he hasn't come back yet, and obviously the signs of the times are pointing in that direction, but even though he hasn't returned does not change that truth. And so we live every day with the hope of that glorious appearing, right? That he will return, and when he returns, we're going to be called away. But in the meantime, God has such a purpose for us, such a distinct purpose for every one of us that's in this room today and those that have not yet committed their life to Christ. There is a purpose for you, and I hope, it's my prayer, that, you know, it's, it's, it is literally the first day of 2017, and so I'm going to be talking about things we talk about at the first of the year today. And so, with that in mind, though, you know, I was looking at the Facebook at the close of the year, and and there was a lot of negative thoughts about 2016, and there was a lot of, you know, we had a a big election this year, and it didn't go well for some folks, went great for others, but there was our, our country's faced a lot of turmoil this year, and and I saw a lot of posts on Facebook about, you know. Glad 2016's gone and it's awful. And it really doesn't matter whether it was good for you or bad for you. Maybe this was your best year you've ever had. It really doesn't matter. What we're going to focus on today is realizing that regardless of where we find ourselves today, the past is gone. The past is gone. It doesn't, you, can, you can bemoan how 2016 was for you. 
You can rejoice because it was fantastic, but it's gone. It's history. It is in the past. And so regardless of where you are today, we're going to forget those things that are behind us because God is a God of the present and he's a God of tomorrow. And what we decide to do with God's plans for our lives today, starting off this year, is going to be is going to determine what kind of year we have. Let me tell you something. It, we do not have any control over the economy of the world. We have no control over, over the nations of the world. But what we do have control of is what we do, right? We do have the ability to make some choices, make some decisions that will change our life and cause our 2017 to be an incredible year. An incredible year. And so we're going to talk about that today. We serve a God that said this, I know the plans I have for you to prosper you and to give you an expected end. But before you can get to the end, you have to start where? At the beginning. So today we're going to start at chapter 1. It's the first of 2017. And so we're going to talk about those three things. If you take notes while I speak, these are three things you need to write down. If you have a photographic memory and can remember this for the rest of your life, remember these three things. We're going to decide, we're going to commit, and we're going to succeed. That's what we're going to focus on today. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, uh, Paul writes this. He said, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. He's in pursuit of something. And he says, I, haven't cons- I don't consider myself to have yet taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind... And straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. The King James Version says it this way. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. There is one thing that the Life Center is committed to doing, and that is helping you find your calling. Helping you find your God purpose. Because if you can find your God purpose, and this group of believers support you in that, you will be the person that God designed you to be, and you will do exactly what Paul's talking about here. You will reach that high calling, that purpose that only you were created for. You will achieve that goal, and when you do, that is the purpose for your life. That is why God created you, because he has something for you to do. But in order to do that, there's something that we must do, and that is forget what's behind us. Forget what's behind us. I, in preparing for this message today, I was really... Uh, really had a, I don't know what the right verb is or descriptive term or whatever, but I just had this feeling in my spirit, in my heart, that there are people that drag around their pasts, kind of like, you know, you say you have baggage and then some people have the baggage train. You know, have you ever been to the airport and you see those little, those little, little truck things and they pull like 15 cars and all 15 cars are full of baggages? Yeah. <laughs> We don't just drag around a roll, a roll along sometimes. We carry the whole train. So sometimes that past prevents us from being what God wants us to be. It keeps us from stepping forward. It keeps us from embracing our future because there's something in the past that is telling us this is who we are. In fact, we've, we've managed to gain our identity from our past. Our past has defined us and turned us into the person that we are. So regardless that God is giving us an opportunity to be something great, we are stuck, held on to something that has defined us in our past. And let me just say this. Our entire relationship with Christ is built on one thing, and that is a decision. We have to decide. You have to make a decision. We have to make a decision to accept the fact that you're a sinner. You have to make a decision to receive forgiveness that Jesus gives. You have to make a decision to go public with your faith by being baptized in his name. It's a decision that you make. Nothing comes down from heaven and smacks you in the head. You make a decision. 
You make a decision to submit your life to Christ and receive His Spirit. You make a decision to leave the past behind you. It's not going to be some miraculous event that all of a sudden all the deeds that you've done or the things that were, that were done to you or you were a victim of that have defined you. There's not going to be some explosion. All of a sudden that stuff just dissipates as a vapor. It's a decision that we make. <coughs> we have to decide. Today you have to make a decision that your past will no longer define you. You have to make a decision that the promises that God have for you, you are going to pursue them. You have to make that decision. You have to make a decision that obedience to God will be your first choice, not your last choice. <coughs> Forgive me, I have something in my throat. You have to decide that you will live according to your God-given purpose. You have to make a decision that this year you will follow Christ with more passion, thank you very much, than you have ever done before in your life. It's a decision that you have to make. God has visited you today while we worship. We feel his presence in this room. He enables us. He empowers us. He gives us his spirit. He gives us promise. But we have to make a decision to move towards Christ. He already paid the ultimate price to redeem you. But he does not redeem you until you make a decision to make a step towards him. You have to say, I do believe there is a God. It's not me. I'm a sinner and I need you. That's a decision that you have to make. And when you make that decision, things begin to change in your life. But it's a decision that you have to make. So the first thing you have to do is decide. The second thing you have to do is commit. A decision is just a decision. It's just a choice that's made with no commitment to that decision, with no action to that decision, it's a good idea. And the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Isn't that the old saying? (laughs) In other words, you can have great ideas and great plans and, and great ambitions, but if you never get off of the couch, the proverbial couch, you will never see those things happen. So I, I, there's nothing to me that defines commitment better than war stories, right? Sports stories and war stories are the best for, for descriptive uh, examples of people that are committed to a cause. And so my wife bought me a book uh, for Christmas, and it's, it's by Bill O'Reilly. He's written a series of books called Killing Whoever, Patton, uh, Jesus, uh, Kennedy, Reagan, all these books. And they're historical accounts of these, these particular individuals. And so the one I'm reading now is about Japan and how the World War II Japan, how that entire thing came about. And so there was one person, it's actually a major motion picture now, called uh, Hacksaw Ridge. It's a movie that's just released. I didn't realize that that movie was this story until I was reading this book I'm reading now. And there was a guy by the name of Desmond Doss, a private first class. He enlisted to serve his country in the army despite being offered um, a deferment because he, he spent years working at a shipyard in Newport News. So he did not have to enlist, but he chose to because he wanted to do what he could to defend his nation. But as a result of his deep religious convictions, he refused to use a weapon or even carry a weapon. So the only thing he could do was be a medic. But he chose to serve his country. And so where his, his, his career really took a major turn was during the Battle of Okinawa. Um, there was a particular battle for a ridge that was taking place. It lasted for about 10 days, this particular battle did. 
And this guy single-handedly saved 75 men. He saved 75 men. Now, I, according to the book, the movie, the research I've done, the, the Japanese had dug in so well. If you've ever been to Japan or have seen pictures there, it's very mountainous. And these, these mountains were, were, there were tunnels, there were caves. And so when our guys landed on the beach, they were basically sitting ducks from the moment they arrived. And they literally had to fight inch by inch to gain any ground. This particular ridge, Hacksaw Ridge, had a huge uh, several hundred foot uh, uh, rock wall that they had to climb to get on top of the ridge to take the high ground. And so when I'm talking about this battle going on, these were Marines and Army men that were dug in and they could not move. They were under such heavy fire. So all this is going on. They would yell for a medic. Desmond Doss would get up and he would run to wherever he was called and he would drag this person, administer some sort of bandaging and healing at that location, bullets flying around. He would drag him to safety. He, did, he saved 75 men. That may sound like a lot. It may not sound like a lot. But try to imagine the fact that he's not just walking into a room with 75, six men. Right? He's walking into a literal war zone. The guy was injured by a grenade. He was shot twice. And he continued to save people's lives. When he was injured, he would refuse to call an additional medic. He treated himself at the place where he fell and continued on his mission. Talk about commitment. Under this kind of... In fact, the story tells that, that he was close enough at times to the Japanese that they could have bayoneted him. So a rifle is what? How long is a rifle? Three and a half, four feet. Then you got another 12, 18 inches of a bayonet. So he was that close to the enemy. And the men that, that in his company so valued this guy that they, laying there wounded and injured, they would shoot the enemy so that he could arrive to where he was trying to go. 75 men he drugged to safety. So after this is all said and done, he's being interviewed. You know, what kept you going? How did you, what was the reason why you kept putting your life in danger to save these men? He said, I just kept telling myself, if I can just get one more man, if I can just save one more man, and so he would bring one more to safety and he would get one more. And he continued this until 75 men were brought to safety. He was the one and only conscientious objector in World War II to receive the Medal of Honor. He received three Purple Hearts and two Bronze Stars in addition to that. This is a guy who understood a little something about commitment. He was committed not just to his actions as a soldier, but he was committed to the thing that put him in the position of being a medic without a weapon. He was committed to his conviction of what his relationship with God was all about. And so he stood for what he believed. He carried a Bible with him into every battle every day. When he was injured, somehow in the chaos, he lost his Bible. He was back on, in, on the medical ship. Word got out to the company that he had lost his Bible. After they conquered the ridge, the company scoured the territory until they found the man's Bible and got it back to him. They valued the level of commitment that Desmond Doss displayed in battle. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus is talking. This is the story of Jesus. They were walking along a road. A man said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back 
is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Man, Jesus was having a bad day. (laughs) Not a good day to ask Jesus a question. (laughs) Not a great day to say, hey, I got a question. (laughs) (laughs) Those words seem harsh. They seem unfeeling. They seem like, what kind of Jesus are you to say this to us? I just want to go bury my dad. You know, nothing major. It just, I got some family obligations. It seems so uh, harsh. But what the creator of all of us understood is this, that life has always been the great distractor. There's always something. There is always something that will question your commitment. There's always something that will be in the way. There's always one more thing that needs to be done before you can do something else. There's always that one other thing that prevents you from really take, making that decision and really taking that step forward in whatever area of life needs it, right? He knows this. And so in this moment, in, the, in this, if this particular event that was unfolding, Jesus was making a statement to those folks. He said, listen, if you're going to commit then that means putting your hand on the plow and marching that direction, not behind you. You have one way to go, and that is forward, not behind. And so when you put your hands on that plow and you say, I'm a committed Christ follower, you're not just doing something to be nice. You're making a commitment to dedicate your life to the Christ that you're following. So yes, it seems harsh, but it is true because life is filled with things that distract us. We, there's so much that's screaming for our, for our attention. Studies have been done. We basically, in our society right now, we're bombarded with 3,000 to 5,000 advertisements a day. We're just inundated. Everybody asking for this. Everybody asking for a decision. Everybody wanting something. Just constantly inundated with noise. Commitment today is difficult because we live very, very busy lives. And despite our best intentions, our resolve weakens when we strive to pursue the things that we know we should do. One of my mother's favorite scriptures. This came right after the whipping. (laughs) It went something like this. To him that knows to do good and doeth it not, it's a sin, buddy. (laughs) It's a pretty potent scripture, especially when used when you're behind still sore. <laughs> right? Basically, it's a simple statement. It goes along with what Jesus is saying. If you know to do the right thing, your commitment is what drives you to do the right thing. And when you decide and you don't commit and you just kind of don't do it, it becomes a sin in your life. It becomes a weight in your life. God calls us to excellence. He calls us to greatness. But it's our own lack of decision and our own lack of commitment that prevents us from seeing God do great things through us. You're not meant to just live your life and die. You're meant to change the world that you live in because you're called by God to do that. Your goal may be to lose 30 pounds. But let me tell you something. It will come under extreme fire when those hot chocolate chip cookies slip out of the oven. Then it's like you're on Hacksaw Ridge and bullets are flying and all you have to do is just take a few bites. Your plan to be at the gym no less than three times a week will be bombarded by a full schedule and a tired body. Our will to break the bad addictive habits will crumble at a moment of weakness. Our commitment to moral purity will suffer losses when we're confronted by temptation. Our promise to follow Christ passionately will fail despite our best intentions as the pressures of life weigh us down. What am I saying? I'm saying if you're waiting for it to be perfect, you will wait until you die. If you're waiting for all of your ducks to be in a row, you won't have any ducks to put in a row. If you wait for the planets to align, they're never going to align. 
The point is this. Make a decision. Commit to that decision and see God do something great in your life. So what? You ate the chocolate chip cookies. Start again tomorrow. So what? You didn't make it to the gym today. Start again tomorrow. So what? I failed miserably today. I just did everything wrong today. Guess what? His mercies are new when? Every single morning. So it doesn't matter what you did yesterday. What matters is what you do now and where you're heading tomorrow. Your past cannot define you. It's our commitment and our trust in His abundance of grace that will cause us to rise again. Just one more man is what He said. Just one more man. Just one more pound. Just one more day at the gym. Just one more day not yielding to my addiction. Just one more day overcoming temptation. Just one more morning waking up and saying, God, I'm yours today. I'm going to pursue the calling that you have for my life. Proverbs 24, 16 says this. For for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. The number could have been 18 times. The number could have been 47 times. The number could have been 107 times. That's not the point. The point is they rise again. The point is we forget what's behind us because what's ahead of us is more important. What defines me is not my past. What defines me is my level of commitment. I'm defined by my commitment, not by my failures. I'm defined by my decision to pursue Christ with all of my heart, not the times I've messed up in pursuit of him. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? The third thing is succeed. We decide, we commit, we succeed. Galatians 6, 7 through 10. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows, period, the end. Whoever sows to please their flesh, to please themselves, from the flesh will reap destruction. In other words, we can't do this on our own. We need a Savior really badly. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. In verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who cut you off in traffic. Oh, no, pardon me, who belong to the family of believers. Right? It's it's, It's not really, it's profound, but it's simple. He's just saying this. If you keep doing the right thing, you will eventually reap the rewards. You know what else? If you're a parent today and you keep doing the right thing, your children will reap a reward. But you have to make the decision and you have to commit because success will follow a decision and a commitment. The success will come because the Bible says that it's a promise. We've been promised so many great things by God. We've been promised salvation and redemption. We've been promised a life of freedom from sin and addiction and destructive behavior. We've been promised that we have purpose for our life. We've been promised hope and an abundant life and an eternal life. But we have to make a decision and we have to commit to staying the course. God has promised us great, great things. But we have to make a decision and we have to commit to that decision. Worship team, you can come. There's been, those of you that have been around the Life Center any length of time, since, I don't know, since the fall, it seems like there's just been just a level of momentum that's been building. And we have a very clear vision 
at the Life Center. A very clear, distinct purpose. And it's our goal, and it's our calling. I already said at the beginning. It's our goal and our calling to help people, people find Christ. And to help people find freedom. And to help people find their purpose. How many people are living a life kind of in a zombie sort of state? They wake up, have coffee, go to work, come home, watch an episode, go to bed. Wake up, have coffee, go to work, come home, watch an episode, go to bed. She's kind of a hamster in a wheel. Let me tell you something. When the creator of the universe formed man, and from his lungs breathed breath into us, and we became living souls, he did not envision people in hamster wheels. He creates world changers. Look at your neighbor and say, you're a world changer. Let me define that statement. Are you going to change China? Probably not. Are you going to change the United States? Probably not. Are you going to change Africa? Probably not. Will you change the world that you live in? The 20 people that you know well? The people you work with every day? That's your world. That's my world. And that's what I'm called to change. That's what I'm called to change. If you've been defined because you're a loser... If you've been defined because you're a liar, if you've been defined because you're morally bankrupt, if you've been defined because you're all of these negative things, forget the past. You have hope today that you can be redefined, defined by your commitment to the decision that you made to pursue Christ with all of your heart. Next Sunday, next Sunday, the 8th of January, we will begin our 21 days of prayer and fasting. This community is going to come together. This community is going to commit to prayer. This community is going to commit to fasting. This community is going to do it because we believe that Christ called us to change our world. Not to exist, but to change our world. If you have not attended our Sunday morning prayer from 9 to 9.30, you are missing something incredible. Heaven kisses this place in those 30 minutes. Every Sunday morning, there are names of people on cards on this platform. And people are taking those names. And for 30 minutes, those names are being called out to heaven. Changing our world because we were called for greater. We choose to create a worship experience here every Sunday. If there's one person here... Or if there's no more chairs to fit people, it's going to be the best worship experience that we can possibly do. Why? Because we're called to give our best. We're called to make this worship experience on Sunday morning a place where someone that does not know Christ can be in an environment, an atmosphere where Christ can reach for them and draw them in. This Sunday morning experience is for the empty seat beside you. For someone that does not know Christ to find Christ. That's why we do this on Sunday morning. And it's going to get better this year. It's going to get sweeter this year. It's going to get tighter this year. This worship team, they work hard. But it's going to get better. It's going to get better. Because we have a calling to pursue. We're going to continue having growth track classes. And if you don't know what growth track classes are, you will find out this year. 
Because in, that, in those classes, it ensures that everyone gets to know Christ. They get to find freedom. They get to discover their God-given purpose. And they get to live a life of fulfillment through purpose. And we show you how to do it. We walk with you on that journey. I'm telling you what this community is committed to for this year and beyond. We want to foster the growth of small groups to build community and discipleship because that's where lives are changed. That's where God visits people in their living room or in their jogging trail if it's a jogging small group or wherever they happen to be. So that's what the Life Center is going to do for you in 2017. My question to you today is are you going to decide and are you going to commit to see the success that God has for you? Let's stand together.